This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. My name is Rob Snow White. Yeah, that is a real last name. And I've had a tradition of driving up to the Salmon River of New York to fish the fall run since 2001. I'm headed up the first weekend of November this year, and I've been preparing for a few weeks. You can call it steelhead fever. And one thing I've had to do is explain fly fishing for steelhead to a significant other in a new relationship. That's a very strange thing to do. It could be something as arbitrary as I'm driving to Kansas to go juggling in an alley for four days and then I'm gonna drive home. I mean, that's kind of what fly fishing is. It's just an odd thing we do. So to explain to somebody that you drive half a day to stand in a river for hours upon hours with little to no breaks while outside all day in weather that is most likely going to be really nasty all to catch a fish you're really briefly going to look at hopefully get some really good photographs to look at later and then you're just going to throw it back in to go do its thing maybe you're going to catch it again maybe someone else will catch it again who knows but you see it for a second and it's gone 
and I'm a really skinny dude. So I've got to explain why I'm going somewhere like Altmar that has really horrible weather this time of year. It's a test of endurance and preparedness. And I've got a lot of gear to show that I'm very prepared and I'm very skinny. It's a lot of warm layered clothes required to fish up there because you're standing still. I'm not gonna go stand in an alley in Kansas City and juggle for 10 hours, just like I'm not gonna go stand in my backyard and do something for 10 hours. But I will go to New York and stand on slippery round rocks that are twisting my ankles in the sun, in the wind, in a snow, sleet, hail, and really damage my body physically for several days and then just to come home. And steelhead fishing up there really is not that difficult. Now maybe I'm saying that because I've been doing it for several decades and I've figured out flies and the gear and I can pack up fairly quickly and, and I've got it all down to a science that I, I know where I want to fish, I know what I want to do, but it's really not difficult. And a novice angler can fish next to an experienced angler and have the same chance of hooking into a massive fish of a lifetime and have one of the craziest fights you're going to have on a fly rod within a couple hours drive of your house. A novice and an experienced angler have the same chance of hooking whatever's in that water. And ideally it's steelhead, there may be some Atlantic salmons. Uh, this time of year there may be some late running coho or Chinook salmon. You can get into a smallmouth. You can get into all sorts of things in this river, but mainly it's steelhead, which is a migratory form of rainbow trout. And you can do all of this with low end gear. I've seen it done. I've seen people hook a king salmon on a four weight with a Fluger medalist. And I've seen people do this with the most expensive couture gear in the world. And then the most challenging part, once you hook that fish, and if it stays on, is getting that fish from wherever it is in this river to the net. Now that's where talent's going to be and skill may be mostly required if you know how to fight a fish, but I've seen people that have no idea what they're doing successfully land a huge salmon or steelhead. Any Schlemiel, Rube, or Bro staffer can go to the Great Lakes, a place like the Salmon River, and catch fish. It's, it's not what I think of when I watch people fishing out west. It's, there's a lot of fish in this river, and, and none of them are, are really native, mostly stockies, and they live year after year, so there can be multiple fish and a lot better chances in this river compared to others. And these are the things that I think about when I'm out for 10 hours a day, doing nothing but throwing a plastic string in the water, moving a stick downstream with that line, and then flicking it upstream. And I'm hopefully not around other people, but if I am, I get a look at them. And, and I watch and observe, and it's all just random luck. It's like winning the lottery. So yeah, the whole thing of steelhead fishing up there is really silly. You stand in water repeating the same thing over and over all day long. And the water can be fast, it could be slow, but where I'm fishing, it's fast. The river bottom's dark, it's usually cloudy. You don't know what you're casting at the entire time. Is there a single fish there? 
or are they stacked up like someone would say cordwood? A whole school of fish. Now we like to think we've got control of what's going on at and under the surface, but there's so many variables from the wind and waves on the surface to micro and macro currents beneath. There are objects in the water. It could be leaves, rocks, sticks, live fish, dead fish. There's all sorts of things in the water. And the shape of the stream itself will also dictate where the water goes. So it's got a flow and it goes over and around and under things. And that is just making thousands of microcurrents in the water. Now, we as anglers like to think that mending, which is throwing your line upstream to slow it down, or leader length and diameter, added weight, hook shape and design, weight of the fly, fly design, all have an effect on our presentation of getting that fly to a fish that we believe is there. It really doesn't. The water's gonna do so many things to our fly that our intentions are completely negated. We're at the mercy of what's going on in the river, and if it gets in front of a fish, at some point, it might bite. And all this doesn't matter if there aren't fish in the water where you're standing. You're standing and hoping that migratory fish are passing through you unless you're in a boat floating and going to look for them. If there is a fish there, is it biting out of curiosity? Is it biting out of hunger? Is it biting out of anger? Or is it just straight up boredom? Remember, fish don't have hands. They're like babies that don't know how they have hands. They put everything in their mouth like a dog does. Are they just breathing with their mouth opening and closing, letting that current bring oxygenated water to their gills? And if so, does your flyer leader just happen to swing through that as it inadvertently goes downstream? And if so, when it goes over and through the mouth and that hook gets stuck, do we think we actually got a fish or is it just flossed and it just accidentally got hooked? It was not an intentional bite. Now you're gonna hook fish in their tails and their nose and their bellies, it happens. So why aren't we just foul hooking them in their mouth too? It definitely happens. So this is my story for the steelhead season of the fall of 2022. I don't have many traditions in my new life. My life is very different now. Holidays and vacations are extremely different and I'm slowly adjusting to all of this. The steelhead crew has got such busy lives now that all of us can't meet up anymore and fish together. Hopefully at some point we could, but through the pandemic, kids, families, divorces, it's, it's all kind of thrown in a loop. We're trying. So this was a solo trip for me. One thing about this new life is I don't get to see my kid on most holidays. So it does give me a little more freedom to take off to go to New York when I don't have her for five or six days, which is why I went up this specific weekend. And I didn't even know if I was gonna be going to Thanksgiving dinner when I was in New York a week before the holiday. I did end up hosting my dad, my brother's family, his wife and two kids, and Ariel. I barely had enough chairs in this empty house to seat everyone, but I managed to throw together an amazing smoked turkey on the Traeger, mashed potatoes, stuffing, sweet potatoes, brilliant dinner for everybody and it was very cozy here so thanksgiving was everything i could have dreamed of and i'm so glad i got to do it and the male lady you may have just heard just picked up some stone flies going up to massachusetts so let's say our listener of the week then is gonna be drum roll please it is going to be 
Jake S. from Clinton, Massachusetts. He is our listener of the week for getting stoneflies that were just picked up by my male lady. So Thanksgiving, yes, it was amazing. I had a great time. I'm very thankful I was able to get to the Salmon River before Thanksgiving. I was able to fish it for the first time this season. I was able to see old friends. I made new friends. I had a dangerous encounter with roadkill. I wore a t-shirt as my outer layer for the first time while steelhead fishing. I lost my foul weather hooded jacket somewhere between the hotel and Fairfax, Virginia. And the first thing I said when I landed my first fish was, I needed that. And I sat down and was able to relax. It's been a strange year. So the plan was to drive up early Saturday, look for some old Project Healing Waters friends, say hi to them, and then suit up, move up river and fish for a couple hours. I've been picking out a spot to fish at that water level for some time and I wanted to go check it out. Then I was going to go have dinner with friends, sleep in my car, get up, fish somewhere Sunday morning, check into the lodge Sunday night and float on Monday and then figure out what I was going to do the rest of the week. So now it's time for my stories. I always say that I'm going to record people I, I meet on the way. And I actually did that. And this was a, an amazing trip. I had a great time. I got to try out some new gear. I lost some old gear, but I was rejuvenated. It's good for the soul to get out and get away. And this was the farthest I have been since Christmas time, 2021. This is my story. I'm a steelhead angler. I live in Virginia and I fish the Salmon River. All I gotta say is I just got out of the car and it's 73 degrees in New York. This is absolutely crazy. Let's go steelhead fishing. It's about one o'clock or we'll see 1300 hours up here on the Salmon River of New York. I'm walking through the woods following a faint trail left by fishing poet. So in lieu of going up to the upper fly stretch and fishing a spot I want to learn up there, I'm going to help out down here, see if anyone needs some of my flies. It's the Project Healing Waters trip. I haven't helped out on this one five or six years, but I got a lot of gear and I got a lot of flies and been passing out some damsels and shad puffs in the parking lot. Just want people out here to catch some flies, catch some fish on my flies, and this body of water, you can't fish it any other time of the year except for this day. This is a wildlife sanctuary, and I am sweating. I just started walking. Oh my gosh. It's 73 degrees out here. The wind was pretty rough in town, but out here in the woods, it's a little lighter. And I'm ready to go do a little fishing with Captain Burke. I wish Ira was here. I have not seen Dan yet, but I already saw Lindsay and Dave. So it's pretty cool to do a really long road trip and then come up and see some old friends you haven't seen and haven't talked to maybe since your last podcast. That's it. I got to step over a log now. Hopefully I don't fall. So as I get downstream and I'm cooling off, setting up my gear, putting things together, Fran comes by and sits down with me. Now Fran is the world's leading expert on fisheries of the Salmon River for the New York Department of Environment. He's retired now. But when you get a chance to sit down and talk with Fran, you'll listen. 
So I was able to pick his brain about rigging, swinging. I did some filming of him, which you're probably not going to see. And I had him build my leader for me. So this is what happens when you sit down with Fran and you wish you could get an hour and a half with him, but you only get a couple of minutes. And there's a group of people fishing in front of us. They had already epically lost a fish earlier in the day. And Fran and I are watching them try to net another fish. And it's beautiful. And there's seven people in the water fishing. And it is a true reward for these veterans to go fish in a spot where it's clean. There's no one else. And there's not even really a trail because no one walks along this section. This is a pristine section of the Salmon River that they're allowed to fish with once a year. Oh, this is a nine foot rod. His leader was less than nine feet. I like to uh, usually go a foot to two feet longer, total length from the end of the fly line, line to where you tie on your fly. So if it's a nine foot uh, rod, I usually with a floating line and a monofilament leader go with a 10 to an 11 foot uh, um, total length leader. So if I'm gonna use an 11 foot switch rod, what length would my leader be then? 12 to 13 feet. Okay. We got a weighted bead head stonefly nymph on. Probably have to put one small split shot along with that. But if you're going to fish with a floating line, you've got to have the line be able to cut through the current so it gets down deep enough. Oh, and, finally netted one. So you go a little bit lighter. That's because I didn't take the camera out to take a picture right. of it. I think he could probably hold that fish with one hand. I think it's a uh, some silver and tiny. What is it, Peter? What was it? Steelhead. It's a small steel. Still a steelhead for Captain Burke. How have the flows been this year? Good. Just because we, you know, they have mandatory flows in this river. Every place else is really low because there's. Except for that rain a month ago. You know... I wish they would put those back on. You know, for the 10 cents it costs for one of those things. Yeah. I usually put a little O-ring with a tiny zip tie. And that's my hook keep. All right, I'm going to wade in. Thanks, Fran. Yeah, I'll show you here. Oh, absolutely. Any Atlantics this There's been today? Atlantics, not today. There's been Atlantics caught the last couple of weeks. I don't think I've ever seen There's Atlantic in the wild. Quite a few of them this fall. Very few this summer, but it was awful hot for a long time. and The lake's been really low, so... Let's see how this is set up once I get it cast. If I can cast anymore. 
that line makes it super easy. Of course, the plants are getting caught on it. You all right? Yeah, my link went to sleep the way it was sitting there. These cobbles don't help either. No. And then Fran stepped in the water, and I just laid back on the rocks, got cozy, comfortable on the shoreline, and watched him fish, watched the other veterans fish, listened to the sound of the river flowing, the sound of the wind in the treetops, the sound of the bald eagles, and the sound of the camaraderie hooting and hollering from the veterans and their guides out on the water. So I hung out for a good amount of time, hung out with the other volunteers on shore, chatted about where we're from, the flies we had on us, potential podcast guests. Say, you've got a hat that says Wooly Bugged. Is that you? Those kind of things. And then after people took a break, they went back for some hydration or food or the, the afternoon wound down a little bit. It was my turn to jump in and do a little fishing. 1,600 hours, I'm below a big riffle, as you can probably hear, and in front of me, at least half a dozen salmon. I definitely see one because it's got my chartreuse and orange intruder in the back. I want nothing to do with these king salmon. They're spawning, they're making splashes and ruckus, and they're digging reds out of the gravel, but they're not eating, and I just don't want a brute fish like that. What I want is what I believe is below them are steelhead that are eating eggs and dislodged macroinvertebrates that are going downstream. So I've got light split shot on, a purple jumbo john with rubber legs and flash, and just hoping that there's some big steely behind them that's just gobbling. It's been a slow day so far, just one on a chartreuse crystal meth and I'm having a great time. It smells really, really bad out here. The wind seems to have stopped a bit. There's some bald eagles along the sycamores and I'm, just, I'm happy to be here listening to this water. I can turn this off, cut my fly off and be just as content. Be less stressful too as an angler. For the dendrologists out there, those were hemlock trees, not sycamores. I should know that from hanging out with Ariel down in Clifton. So, the smell. I think the smell of the rotting salmon was exceptionally bad due to the heat and things were just rotting and breaking down faster with that warm front. And it wasn't until the temperature dropped and I had a buff on my face that I was able to counteract the smell of rotten fermented mud shark wafting downstream. I did not spend too much time dilly-dallying with those salmon. I wanted nothing to do with them. It was shallow water in a side channel on the other side of an island, like ankle deep. There were no steelhead goblin eggs behind them. So I packed it up, went upstream. Everyone was done for the day. I guess I'd been distracted by the steelhead fever and being able to just see three foot long kinks and cohos in ankle deep clear water right in front of me. It's like going to the zoo. And that's something I never really get to see. So I watched them, observed them for a while, and then went upstream. Everyone is, is done. They're headed up to the VFW, but I have been invited to Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders friends, Linda and Henry's house outside of Altmar. So I say goodbye, and people say, you coming down here tomorrow morning? I'm like, well, I, I might. We'll see how things go. But if you want to have me help out, I will be here at 
seven or eight in the morning because it's daylight savings. Now my phone updates by itself. My watch doesn't always. It does have a calendar built into it. So I was a little confused when I woke up in the morning. So I got my rod in my car, threw my gear bag in, and I drove about five minutes away from Altmar to the Wong's house. All right, seven o'clock now, and we're at the Wong's. You want to introduce yourself? I'm Linda. I'm Henry. And we know each other from TPFR Beer Ties. That's right. That's right. Don't, don't ask us to go back in time and say when that happened okay. or anything like that. That would be appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you two, how long have you been coming up to the Salmon River? Um, almost 10 years now. Yeah, 10 years, right? I think yeah, 2002, something like that. Has it been that long? Yeah. Good that's, grief. That's 20 years. I think we... No, oh, I mean, yeah. 2012. Some of us can't we do can math. Edit. Yeah, we can always edit that. It could be because he fell in today. <laughs> <laughs> he hit his head. The rotten salmon has infused yeah. your, your body. You, you want to ask that question again? <laughs> yeah. We can, we can edit. Um, and then things sort of changed during lockdown. It was more of like a spend some time up here rather than... Yeah, because um, we, we've, we've got this place um, almost 10 years and we never really get to spend that much time here. So during COVID, um, we thought it was like, wow, this is going to be a temporary situation where we get to work from anywhere we want to. So we would spend two, two weeks back in Virginia and two weeks up here. And it was right, it happened in March. So it was right in the middle of uh, steelhead drop back season. So I'm roaming up and down the rivers, nobody inside and catching like drop back steelhead. And I was having the best time of my life, you know, that 20, 2020, right? 2020, That's right. March of 2020. It's awesome. Not that long ago, but it seems like ages. It it does. It really does. It was so it's so surreal, you know, to be up here and have nobody on the water. You basically had the water all to yourself. You could go and explore. You could do what whatever, right? And it was great to be outdoors, um, especially when you weren't running into anybody. It's fantastic. It was You weren't supposed to be coming into New York unless you had like residents or something. So that yeah. kept a lot of the yahoos out. It was. I mean, we, we didn't know. It was kind of sketchy. It wasn't clear what the rules were. We were actually kind of thinking, are we allowed to do this or not? And we were kind of like driving across the border. We were actually kind of concerned because we have Virginia place coming to New York. And then we said, well, you know what? We have a place here. So we can really say that, you know, we're coming back to our home, and uh, which we needed to do. So I think it's all legit. There was a lot of rumors spreading around. In fact, there were rumors that they were going to shut down the river, which was kind of crazy at the time, how they're going to shut down the river. But, um, but you know. Just turn off the dam? It was, it was actually the safest place for us to be. There was nobody around. We didn't interact with anybody. You weren't going to get COVID. You weren't going to give anybody COVID. So it was really very safe. Very nice. And how has it changed since then? Is uh, it got a little more crowded? It was pretty pretty busy day because seventy three degrees. Yeah, today was pretty crazy. I mean, actually, this whole week so we 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 pulled in a few days ago, and just it's like in Omar, it's like it's like the salmon season up here right now. I mean, I think down river it's not that crowded, but up in Omar, from Pineview up, it's it's crazy. A lot of people. And if everyone's saying it's delayed by two weeks, I might fish more downstream. Like Monday morning, I might go fish into town because those will be the fish coming in first. Yeah. I haven't seen all these flies and, and people up here. Yeah, maybe. I, I think um, I think the fish are, you can, you can probably, they're probably pretty spread out throughout the river right now. 
I mean, you get into December, January. I mean, it's it's an upriver deal. You know, everything is in deep pools in the river. It gets so cold. But right now, I think they're catching fish in a lot of places. Um, but still, people kind of gravitate towards Almar in the wintertime for steelhead fishing. That's where you find the action. Right. <laughs> We've seen some really interesting stuff on the water right now, though. Earlier today, we went out and we saw surf these rods. guys. <laughs> it brought surf rods out. And yeah, they, I mean. Was the reel upside down too? Not, not quite, not <laughs> quite. But <laughs> it, 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 um, you know, good for them for coming out and trying. I think it's it's great that people get outdoors, but it was really really interesting to see that the surf ride, it it wasn't effective. They weren't catching much. You could probably pole vault across the river with that. <laughs> they probably could. And you saw some fresh cohos as well today. Yeah. yeah. That color is just not something I'm used to seeing. I see cardinals in nature, mm-hmm. and there's some you know red on maybe a pumpkin seed's ear, but no, not used to seeing is... that color in nature. Brilliant red, and uh, it was surprising because I didn't expect that at all, especially this time of year. The thing with coho is that they will actually uh, hit you. They will actually strike, unlike, you know, the kings. Um, I've caught them in during Thanksgiving, you know, where they actually went after, still have fishing, they actually went after my lure. So they do tend to hang around a little later, so. Do you have a preference for water flow levels? Have you been up here so long? How's 335 right now? I think 335 is a little low. I mean, it brings, I, it just seems a little low. I mean, it was, was this warm temperature? It, it's a little tough fishing. I think ideally, I like to see a 500, 750 would probably be my ideal flow. 1500 would probably be my maximum. You know, I wouldn't fish. So that's him. I like 350. I like low flows. I'm a little tiny. (laughs) So chest high for me might be hip high for you guys. So it's, uh, yeah, I like it low. (laughs) Yeah, I was going into some deep spots today. And you kind of forget it's hot out, but that water's cold. And all of a sudden I'm waist deep and my teeth are chattering. (laughs) And then I would just back up 10 feet and it would warm up. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to cool off again and I'll wait a little deeper. Yeah, that's awesome. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, Log on to MidwayUSA.com. Yeah. So, any kind of beer ties go on up here? We haven't found any. Are you going to start one up here? Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. I don't know where we'd go. McDonald's? Um, Come over here. Yeah, yeah this table's right enormous. You can hold, like, this is for, like, Vikings or something. Well, I've, I've got two, we've got uh, some extensions. We could do this. Make it into a yeah. 10-foot-long table. And so this is your getaway? Is this rented out when you're not here? It is. So it's kind of a, a long story. So, you know, you know, I grew up loving fishing. My whole family did. And for my work, I come up to Cortland a lot, which is mm-hmm. about an hour from here. So I, I, I would come up to Cortland four or five times a year. And, and when we have some downtime working, those guys up there love to fish. So they would take me here salmon fishing. So I actually 
Sam fish on the Sam River a few times, not knowing where I was or didn't really care why I knew I was salmon fishing. So that's kind of how I found, um, you know, I knew this place. And then um, later on, we were looking kind of place to maybe get a cabin and stuff. And just out of curiosity, I kind of searched on Craigslist. There was no Facebook marketplace or anything like that, so Craigslist. And I found this cabin for sale. It's been on the market for two years. How? This place is amazing. Well, you did some work. Go, we go did, back. We did you know, a little work. But, but go back 10 years ago. The market Were there porcupines in here? There were porcupines, <laughs> deer, yeah, <laughs> raccoons. So anyway, and I, you know, like six months later, it was still on the market. So, you know, I came up here, I, w I went to work in Corlin and came up, you know, drove up here to take a look and then, uh, and then I had to find a way to sell it to my wife and uh, somehow I tricked her into it. That's how it happened. Yeah, I don't know. There, there was one moment I came up here with a girlfriend and we did a drive-by and knocked on the door and asked if we could just walk around the property. And let's just say that was the peak of salmon season. So I didn't expect to see campers on the, on the driveway because they, they rent out spaces here. So not enough lodging and that's what you do. And it was eye-opening and I think I may have cried shed a tear or two um, after that little visit but then you know we thought about it we talked about it we needed a vacation place where we could all gather and this kind of fit the bill because his his brother and family loved fish so this was you were all in a group was it Thanksgiving it was like a picture of snow maybe you guys yeah. posted yeah it's a whole yeah. group of you we've been coming up here for Thanksgiving every year since since uh, for the last 10 years basically and I mean it was kind of crazy because I mean besides being six and a half seven hours away from home we didn't know how we we're gonna do this and we closed on December 1st so next time we came back we couldn't even pull in the driveway there was like four foot of snow on the ground and we had to literally Try to shovel our way. Wow. To, we had to, I've got the blowtorch now that goes on a propane <laughs> tank. Oh my gosh, we could have used a blowtorch. Yeah, I don't have to shovel anymore. I can just melt it. Yeah, my neighbor was getting excited. I was telling him the other night. He's like, I don't have to I've seen blow. that. I've seen that thing. It's, yeah, it's and then you get one of those hoverboards and you can just go back and forth <laughs> melting it. We didn't have that option. We had um, brute strength and a shovel and that was it. And you had to plow through all of that snow. Yeah. And then we decided to bring in some of our furniture like this came from virginia this table that we're sitting How? at u-haul um pretty much yeah, this is like it it, yeah, it we, is yeah we had this made in uh in virginia and then brought it up here we had a pickup oh, we had a pickup yeah we did have a pickup truck back then and we, so we were able to throw everything um in the back but then we had to carry it in over the snow onto the threshold I mean, you could probably was, slide it like a sled. Yeah, we did end up sliding. Pick up some porcupines to it and yell mush. <laughs> now, what's the chance you've got a Tesla so you can just have self-driving and come up and not have to do anything? Well, That's my dream. That, yeah, well, that would not it's, be it's nice. It's 420 miles, so unless electric vehicles get above that, not an option, man. Right? So. That would be nice, though, otherwise. Yeah. But now, I mean, actually, the... The first time after we came back, after we closed on the house, we found we had some issues with actually people breaking in because they realized that it wasn't occupied all the time. And um, this before we had, you know, Wi-Fi here, could install cameras and stuff like that. So we said, well, it might not be a bad idea to try to rent it out for, you know, when we're not here. And right. so now- Keep it occupied, keep it keep occupied. more eyes on it. 
And then now we have people who we know who help us snow plow and cut the grass and everything else. And we rent it out when we're not using it. So it's all working out pretty well. Do you have a mobile fly tying unit up here? It's, yeah, that's a good idea. We don't. We don't, but we uh, have we, we have, have our own. Our own. We bring. carry it in a little suitcase now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got mine in a tote. We're still looking for the ideal like mobile fly tying setup, really, because we we don't have an ideal setup. Yeah, we've shopped yeah. around and looked at various things, and uh, they're either too big or so. We're still we're still looking. So if you Everything's have the right thing in Ziploc bags. Vertical and a storage tub, and I can just set it on the table. So yeah, I have my bright halogen lamp set up oh, at the yeah. lodge, and then I can just tie. And then I have to go on the floor and pick. Up. I feel bad for the person. Do you have the the clip on ice? Or no, I've got the, 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 the pedestal. pedestal. Yeah, there's just too many odd places you end up that a clamp doesn't work. Yeah. But. Yeah. We have the pedestal we have as pedestal, well, yeah. and then we have clip-on halogen lights that hook up, you know, it's like a USB, so it's yes. pretty effective, and it's a slender profile, which really makes a difference, but um, for the materials, everything like you is in Ziploc bags or little craft boxes that you can, that are light, and you can tote everywhere, mm -hmm. but for the longest time, I think we had it in one of those uh, recyclable um, grocery bags, and you throw everything in there. Right. But we just upgraded to a suitcase. So Beer Tie originally had this giant wheelie mechanics drawers that would pop out of other drawers. Like Dan had this thing way back. Really? It was it was enormous. <laughs> it was like a craftsman wheeling. And I was like, no. And then uh, I've got, right before lockdown, when Beer Tie was getting huge, I got a wheeling suitcase to lug everything in. Mm. And I've got this ugly $4... I just went to the thrift store, like the cheapest, ugliest thing that wouldn't cost the club any money, and it's it's ugly. And it has never been it. used because <laughs> lockdown started right after March beer tie. That was like the wow. last hurrah. Yeah. It's been a while. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. We need to get back there. Yeah. It, it was easy before because... Uh, we were, I mean, I was already in Arlington, you know, my, my office is mm -hmm. in Arlington. So she's just come, she'll go into the office with me on Mondays, you know, when we have to be a time, we just go after, after work. But now I'm working from home all the time. And it's just like, everything is so different since, since COVID. Yeah. Absolutely. What's the hot fly for tomorrow? Well, you know what? It's one of you, one of you, uh, you would say the trash flies. Yeah. Uh, squirmy warmy right on we call most of the stuff on squirmy i what, think what color pink pink or red all right i think i got uh, some purple ones i can leave you i tried purple it didn't nothing. Nothing. all right well nothing. i mean it's luck of the draw but <laughs> i think a lot of, most people are still uh, throwing a patterns i think maybe it's just something stands out a little different right now mm -hmm. usually the squirmy works better later in the season you know but are your glasses yeah. missing a whole piece? This, this one broke happened. on the river yesterday. Oh, no. Luckily, I... I hey, you are like... <laughs> we'll put you in a bubble. Yeah, I've got another spirit, luckily. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't be able to drive home. So, so uh, we'll wrap this up. Thanksgiving's coming up. You mentioned that. What's your favorite side dish for Thanksgiving, Henry? Uh, the, uh, the sweet potato mash with uh, pecans and... Oh, my and, goodness. And the brown, brown sugar. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite side dish. Linda? Ditto, ditto. And then the argument is, do you put marshmallows on it or do you not? Right. 
Yeah, no marshmallow for me. Bro. My kid eats all the marshmallows in the house. We can't keep them in stock. Like she'll just eat a bag. What's your favorite? Gravy. 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 That's a, just that's <laughs> a side dish for me. Really? When else do you get to like just celebrate gravy on everything? I, I, that's a good point. And there was one Thanksgiving where they ran out of gravy. We did it at my cousin's restaurant, and there were sixty family members, and I was the last one to get to the the window where like they would send the food out. And there was no gravy. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Oh my so the next year I brought packets of gravy just in case. Like powdered. I was like, if, if there, even there's no gravy, I'm going to eat powdered gravy. <laughs> so if I host this year, I'm going to make a gallon. <laughs> Let there be gravy. <laughs> That's going to be the name of the podcast. All right. That was fun. Thanks. Do you have any social medias if people want to follow your adventures up here? Oh, well, we post on IG. IG is uh, pretty open if they want to. L.H. Wong? Um, it's either, yeah, I think so. Right on. Yeah. Or the Wong way. That might be it. That's my <laughs> That's <thing>. him. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. 16 minutes on the dot. So the Wongs fed me about an entire box of spaghetti and about three pounds of sausage and a full jar of tomato sauce. And had a couple of beers and just hung out. For a couple of hours, and it was fantastic. They have a really cool house, so definitely look them up. If you've got a group that wants to stay about five minutes from the river, they can sleep about 11 people, and the kitchen is enormous. That table was no joke. So I left the Wongs, and as I had driven in, I saw a dead porcupine on the road. So I was curious. I've never really seen a porcupine up close. I saw some gigantic ones in Namibia at night but I never really been close to one so I pulled the car over and I recorded myself but it, it didn't come out maybe because my spotlight was on on my phone so it's well past dark there's a beautiful sunset it was really clear and the temperature still probably in the 60s now at eight or nine o'clock at night and I get out I light up this dead porcupine it's it's guts and entrails and viscera are all over the road with this weird reflective if not iridescence on them it was pretty disgusting but i was more interested in the quills and i'm wearing my crocs ariel ariel got me into wearing crocs so i, I take my my right shoe you know i got world cup fever coming up and i just kind of just kind of tap gently tap it like you were gonna wake up uh like a sleeping dog that's in your way just kind of like boop and that's all it took, that gentle, I'm going to touch the microphone as hard as my foot touched it. It was like this. And about 50 quills stuck in my croc. And as you know, crocs got holes in them. I was so close to putting porcupine quills into my toes inside the crocs. I, we're talking half a centimeter away from me having to go find a hospital that night for doing a really dumb thing. So I took off my croc and I hobbled over to my car and pulled out my fishing pliers and pulled them all out. And it was, it's crazy. They didn't leave a mark. Uh, maybe crocs would be a great material for fly boxes? Hmm? Yeah, I, I, and I put them in a cardboard box in there. and They must have fallen out. I don't know where they went, so I don't have any quills left over but I, I was thinking about up here in my kitchen uh my only piece of artwork it's got my it's got my sergeant bass fisher porcupine quill beak hummingbird fly on it 
And I was like, man, I could probably send these to him. So that was it, man. That was my first experience with a dead porcupine. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty dangerous. I could have made a big mistake there. That would, that would have been very regretful. It would have ruined the trip. So I drove into town, found a nice, dark, quiet spot to sleep, and I pulled out my Selk bag, which is it's a sleeping bag that you wear. It's like a suit. It's what you would put a kid in. Pretty much uh, Randy from Christmas Story. It's what he wore on the way to school. It's got a hood. It's got zip-on booties. It's got fold-over mitts. But it's the upper 60s. And there's a light wind, and I was just going to be way too hot. So I had on my dude leggings, probably my, my stretchy nylon pants with the double knees over that, and long sleeve t-shirt, and I think I just slept on top of the silk bag. I nodded off fairly easily because it was a very long day. I left here at maybe 5 a.m., to get up there and so I think I checked some stuff on my phone, checked some emails because you can get service up there and then put a buff over my eyes, put some earplugs in and I nodded off for the night and the front came through. It was fantastic being woken up with these huge, just pelting raindrops and these clouds just zipping by and the rain was done. So I got up, I wasn't sure if it was seven or eight in the morning and I was a little confused. And then I rolled over to the Project Healing Waters tent and set up a vice and started tying some flies and passing out some intruders, some flies that people weren't throwing. And I just wanted to see if they might have a better chance throwing one of my flies that fish hadn't seen that weekend or in the past year. So I sat down and Mr. John Patterson sat down next to me in the tent where everyone's having coffee, it's a little chilly. And this is my interview with John Patterson. My name is John Patterson. I'm a Vietnam disabled vet. Welcome home. Thank you. And that's what I say to all my vets. I learned that they, from, they, from they, up here. They appreciate it more. Anyway, I got a call from the five fishermen saying, uh, I've got this family who wants to donate the fly tying material to your club. Uh, which is the Broome County Fly Fishers, uh, Veterans Fly Fishing Club. And uh, we, I said, okay. Uh, he said, can you meet me over at my father's house? My father is in the uh, veterans home in Oxford. Um, he doesn't fish anymore. He wants to give all his fly fishing uh, material to you. I said, good, okay. So I went to his house. You guys gonna hang out here? Once I uh, and went to went to his house, and um, he started bringing out the fly tying material. Uh, to make a long story short, on that respect, I ended up with over a hundred and fifty mason jars full of feathers. All just random mix like each each jar a bird or each jar was packed with different color different feathers <clears throat> so i my wife was kind of upset bringing all those feathers home but i so he said well my father was an avid fly fly fisherman and fly tire back in his day when he was a teenager and he said uh, my father 
as a teenager, made more money selling the flies he made uh, than his father did as a supervisor in industry. Wow. He said his father would uh, make a lot of flies. He would get on the train, go from one city to the next, and sell them to the big professionals like Orvis and so forth. Uh, he was that good. Now, this is in the 19, late 1930s. So we arranged a time to go up and meet his father at the, the veteran's home in Oxford, New York. So we went up and, and met him, and we had a news uh, broadcast on it. And I gave him a magazine, one of the fly fishing magazines, that actually had a picture of some of the flies that he had tied. Um, Thank you. And he was, he could not speak too well, uh, he could not hear too well, but he could understand. And we gave him that, and we gave him one of our shirts, and we, uh, he was really, really grateful to, you know, knowing this, this material is going to a fly fishers. So we got talking with him, <clears throat> and he's 94 years old, he's since passed, and I said to him, he was in World War II, and I said to him, well, what did you do while you're in, he says, well, I was in the Army Air Force. He said, I was a plane captain on the bombers, and, um, and, and, and I was on one of the first bombers ever made as a plane captain. And we talked a little bit, and then I said, well, I said, if you don't mind this question, what's the worst day of your life in the service? He says, I was on the bomber that, um, that dropped the bomb on Nagasaki. Big, big boy? Can you see that? He says, I was on the bomber, dropped the bomb wow. in Nagasaki. He said, that's the worst thing. But I wanted to ask you Knowing what I did. So I and we didn't know that once. That's what didn't we didn't know. Did. So my did. Every hair on my arm just stood up. That's that's a lot to live with for a very long time. He had PTSD. And how we got through PTSD was life fishing and hunting. And of course, back then... It is a PTSD does. Right. Shell shock. Well, you, you just realize what you did destroyed thousands of people. You know, and you didn't know, you know. I wasn't sure what that meant. So that's kind of the story. My goodness. Isn't that an interesting story? Yeah. Wow. Would it be Well, you told that, I just finished this fly. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I'll send you some of his material. Absolutely. And the way he did it, the way he did it, he had skeins. Okay, and I'll get you some of his other skeins, and he packed mothball crystals in them. Not a big deal. I was just wondering if you knew. And some of these jars go back to the 1940s. Old, 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 uh, old uh, one quart mason type jars. Yeah. Good tops. And, uh, and then he got, I don't even know how the guy found fur. Just pulled in my driveway. Basically, a fur is uh, bear tail and deer. And he used a lot of that. Now, his flies are a lot different than what you see today. Mm -hmm. A lot different. They were more looking originally like a big fly, like a, almost like a moth that would float. And, and he was, of course, he was world famous because of 
sold all this stuff to the big you know, like orifice and people back mm-hmm. in the 1930s now. What was his name? Do you remember? His name is Mr. Crook. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing I can't that. I think it was first name right now, but, uh, but I'll get it to you. Okay. Um, I think it, well, I won't go, but uh, yeah, and uh, side story from this. This was really interesting. So I got talking to him and his son and son and daughter were at this press conference in the house, and I got talking. So, see, I, my dad was a, was a crack um, marksman, uh, hunting. So he said he went up on this guy's farm and he met, was up there hunting one day, and, uh, and he said uh, he shot some deer and he came back and, and told Ted Eggers, who owned the farm, that uh, uh, he shot some deer, and Ted said, well, I, own, I heard seven shots. How many did you miss? He says, oh, I got seven deer with seven shots. Uh, Ted Eggers was my uncle. Wow. <laughs> it really could My goodness. <laughs> Way back in the, I mean, this is back in the hills of New York. <laughs> it was really desolate back there. And, uh, but he was a machinist. Uh, when he came out of the army, and he worked in machining, and uh, in Elmira, New York. That's and, where my mom went to school for one year. Yeah, and so uh, that's kind of and and uh, yeah, it was really uh, it was a delight to meet him, and the smiles and tears were coming from his face, you know, that we recognized him and we could share as fly fishermen, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it really, really, really was, and uh, it was really, really nice. Let me get you some material. Yeah, I have. And that was my interview with John. After that, we warmed up for a bit. We tied a whole bunch of more flies. He brought me some feathers that are in my tying kit now downstairs. And then we all suited up and moved downstream. And I hung out while John and, and another veteran fished for a little bit. They asked me to jump in and join them. And I was able to go down below them and it was super windy and it was getting really dark all of a sudden and then it looked like it was about to rain so I looked at the guide who was volunteering to guide and and net the fish for these two guys and he just looked at me and said it's about to really start raining and that's where I'm going to end part one of my Salmon River trip up to New York in November of 2022. This was the first weekend of November. If you would like to learn more about Project Healing Waters, you can go to projecthealingwaters.org. Please follow them on social media. They have emails they will send out every Friday to update you on everything from events and contests like rod building and fly tying. So please look up a chapter near you if you are a veteran yourself or if you would like to volunteer. And part two is going to start out with the rainstorm coming in to absolutely drench us. Thanks for listening to part one. Let's go out now with a little bit more music and an ad. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.